Blog Talk Radio. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country. Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over that. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest for rights. So that if I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunctions turn us around. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the IRP-6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, uh, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Folks, make no mistake about it tonight, the IRP6 on display as we 
talk about the conspiracy and the facts of a conspiracy that brought injustice. Folks, hang on to your seats. This is one show you don't want to miss. And there you go, folks. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and William Williams and the AJC radio team tonight as we address an issue regarding the conspiracy, not a theory, not something that is thought up, but the facts that support a huge conspiracy that wrongfully convicted six men. Who are they? David Banks, Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. And ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. This is, again, not some storybook, not some Hollywood production. This is the facts, and we're going to really reveal those facts to you tonight as we put the pieces together and create a very clear picture of the corruption and the injustice that lies in America's justice system today. And uh, we're going to get into at least a disclaimer for our listeners. Yes, we'd like to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide legal advice. You'll want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and spending a little bit of your evening with us. And thank you for that, Lisa. And I'll tell you what, folks, uh, this is a story. You need to call all your friends, your neighbors, anybody you know that, it, that it lives in America, really, or around the world, to tune in tonight as we give a very compelling story uh, that is fact, that the IRP six men, again, David Banks, Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker have been a source of a conspiracy of injustice. And these men, I'll tell you right now, are wrongfully convicted sitting in a federal prison because of the facts that we will reveal tonight of the process and the lack of justice and the violation of so many laws so many rights of these men the only definition you can give the only words you can give it is conspiracy and those facts and we're going to uncover those tonight uh folks feel free to join into the conversation tonight the number is 347-838-8976 that's 347-838-8976 uh we ask you to go out to our chat rooms out there have some comments give some input on this folks because i'll tell you if it happened to the irp6 it can, without question, happen to you. We're going to be joined tonight by the Honorable Federal Retired Federal Judge Mary E. Bullock, uh, a huge supporter of the IRP-6, believes of, in the injustices that have happened to these men. She's going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour. Uh, this is going to be a humdinger, folks. Right now, we're coming live from Colorado Springs. Temperature 88 degrees, partly sunny skies. Los Angeles right now, 77 sunny in our nation's capital, 80 degrees. A little cloudy, and I guarantee a little serving of humidity to go in the mix folks this is going to be a good one lisa as we talk continually uh, about the injustice that the irp6 men have suffered how important is this information getting out tonight well lamont i believe is vitally important because people need to understand the way our system is broken and the things that are happening people you're not going to believe it unless you see it so people really need to hear and understand exactly what's going on no absolutely and we have several comments uh of information we'll let you hear clips tonight uh, folks who have come out uh, to speak in defense of this case, uh, defense uh, of the IRP-6, that 
the things that happen here just are not normal. People with well over 30, 40, 50 years in the judicial system, uh, whether attorneys, judges, whoever, uh, that come to the conclusion, the same one that we knew from the beginning, that this case was a joke. It was a miscarriage of justice. It was something that never should have been sued, uh, pursued by U.S. Attorney John Walsh and his uh, peon Matthew Kirsch uh, in, in prosecuting these men. Cliff, uh, you've seen a lot here as we have uh, been through uh, fighting this injustice. Uh, important that this message get out tonight. Absolutely. And, you know, I echo the, uh, the thoughts and the, the words of several, uh, you know, former prosecutors, former judges, state's attorneys, so many people that we've talked to here at AJC Radio that says, uh, you know, they say they don't know how this ever made it to a federal court. We've had, uh, you know, reporters, everybody that looks at this case says, how did this ever get to the federal courts. How did, this, how did this get in front of a judge? And furthermore, how did a judge, Christine Arguello, take this on and allow it to be tried? But uh, that's why we have a show coming on tonight that is about the conspiracy of the entire situation because this never should have made it uh, past the assistant U.S. attorney's desk. No, absolutely. William, uh, you were involved with something, seen some, uh, quite a few things here uh, in regards to even uh, an attempt to serve a federal official was blocked. Uh, and a, uh, I would call it an obstruction of justice. That's what the Department of Justice would call it, and the judicial system. But no penalty, no foul, nothing, nothing. as a result of those actions. I mean, we, we're going to get into that. Your thoughts as we get ready uh, to unveil this conspiracy, and it has many pieces, and we're going to build that picture and that puzzle tonight. Well, I think, um, you know, the main thing about this show is that it's going to show, you know, the depth in which these people will go to and the corruption behind it to manipulate the system in their way that these innocent men go to jail uh, wrongfully. And it, it, I mean, it's just, you know, people need to understand this is real. This is very real. It happened in this case. It happened in many other cases around the country and it could happen to them. So they need to, you know, this is a wake up call and people need to really understand, uh, you know, what these people do to manipulate the system in their, uh, in their favor. No, without questioning, we're going to get into that. Again, folks, if you want to join in the show tonight, the conversation, feel free to dial in to 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. And I'll tell you what, folks, This let me tell you something about injustice and the fact of the price of injustice. It affects the families. It affects the children. It affects the mothers, the fathers, the sisters, the brothers. Everyone is affected. And this type of injustice cannot uh, go untalked about. It has to be discussed. It has to be mentioned. And you know what? There's a, an illusion, if you will, in the country uh, that our justice system is just the greatest in the world and good as mama's apple pie. I'll tell you right now, mama's apple pie never had a stench that stinks like our federal justice system and our justice system as a whole in this country. It's unbelievable. And it's high time that we call it what it is. When you have six IT executives, patriots of America, who stood at ground zero and said, I want to do something, as I look at the devastation of ground zero, 9-11, and what happened, and these men sought out with the entrepreneur spirit to embrace that and to say, look, we will make a difference. The, the United States says, okay, we'd like to thank your patriotism, and guess what? Here's an eight, a 5 by 11 cell for the next 7 to 11 years for a crime that was never committed. 
unbelievable. And uh, these are things that just is, again, if it happened to these men, to these families, uh, I mean, these are these are men with absolutely no criminal record ever sought out to just conduct business. And you know what? How many companies that are not majority African-American companies can go out and incur debt and 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 all of these things that happen to these men and nothing is done? It's 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 uh, basically told oh this is normal procedure normal protocol not an issue but you put five blacks and one italian american who might as well be black because they, they they judge you all the same if you, if you hang with black the african-american so these men very educated uh some uh one of the the, the ceo uh one of the designers of the software a presidential appointment to the united states air force academy uh a veteran david banks uh, in the united states navy clinton stewart in the united states air force uh, Dave Zappolo very much contributing to the economy and his business practices in business, in IT, in, com- in the computer world for years. Demetrius Harper, the same. Kendrick Barnes, the same. Uh, unbelievable, Cliff, that how do you pick men of that statue to decide to use them as a pawn to bring injustice? I don't understand it. Well, it goes to, you know, the the fact that the the uh, federal prosecutors can, you know, they can indict a ham sandwich and they pick and choose who they want to indict. And when you have, uh, you know, former prosecutors calling in uh, favors to their friends and things of this nature, then you ha- you have the entire system that that breaks down. You when you have the chain of command or, you know, the way that a a uh, complaint is made you know, from the citizen to the FBI, then to the prosecutor, when, when that entire, uh, you know, just way that it works, when that flips on its head and you have a prosecutor, how does a pro, how is a prosecutor, the one, uh, you know, bringing forth an investigation that he has nothing to do with. It's supposed to come from the FBI. And then when it's sent to the FBI by one of the so-called victims and the FBI said, this is a civil matter. Uh, there's nothing we can do for you. The FBI won't be looking into it. Then how then do you have another, um, you know, rogue arm of the FBI and, and John Smith continuing to do an investigation when when his uh, basically uh, his the the special agent in charge, which is his boss, his superior said there will be the FBI can't help you. This is a civil case. How does he continue to, uh, you know, to look into it? to ensure that it's brought before Assistant U.S. US Attorney Matthew Kirsch and that these trumped-up charges are brought forward. That is why, that is how uh, a conspiracy is built, because a conspiracy is, is actions taken to bring forth, you know, an, an illegal action. And that is exactly what they did, conspired to bring about an illegal indictment against these six men. That's the bottom line. And here's the bottom line, folks. If there is a crime, I don't have to intimidate church members who attend the same church. I don't have to go to their jobs and threaten them and say, if you don't say what we want you to say, you'll be on one of two lists. I don't have to do that when I have a case. I don't have to create a theory of a case if a crime has been committed. I don't have to go after certain things. I don't have to corrupt the grand jury and say, look, this is what happened. I don't have to keep a witness, one of the IRP6, out of the grand jury or attempt to do that, to tell them, look, folks, this is what happened. If I have a case, I have a case. And if you don't have one, 
conspiracy, as, as Cliff alluded to, begins to happen. Let's create a theory. Let's make this look like a crime. And every person we have talked to, to, the, to the, one of the most prestigious law, law firms and lawyers in D.C., around the D.C. area, have said to us, we cannot find a crime here. But these are people with reputable reputations for knowing the law. Right. And, and like I said earlier, I mean, a for, when a former prosecutor who his job is to find crime, to, to look, to take a deep dive, to look for a way to indict somebody, when a former prosecutor looks at the, uh, the transcript, look, looks at the indictment, looks at uh, the search warrant and everything, and then comes back and say, you know, I don't even see a crime here. How did this? get in front of a judge and furthermore how did it get in front of a prosecutor because then if one prosecutor can't find a crime i mean they all go off the same law it's not like one prosecutor has one set of laws and another prosecutor has another set set of laws that allows you to uh to bring an indictment when there is no crime well if that prosecutor can say how did this get in front of a judge no prosecutor just like when fbi director comey said no prosecutor in their right mind would bring charges with this set of so-called evidence, there's just not a crime here, then how does a prosecutor go and say, I'm going to create a crime, I'm going to build something, and then falsely represent that to a grand jury? And then furthermore, the first grand jury said, this is falsely represented, this is a civil case. We are not going to give you an indictment for people who owe debt. So what does Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch do? He impanels a second grand jury and calls nobody but one FBI agent so that he can get his indictment. That is a conspiracy. Well, and the bottom line is, folks, um, if the FBI said this is a civil matter, you'd have to shut down every startup company in the United States that occurred that during that process. Then guess who's affected? The entire economy. Everything is affected. Our small businesses, people who have the desire to go out for small businesses and to reach their dreams or to pursue that will second guess doing that now especially if they're african-american or latino or minority status why do i go out when these six men the rp6 went out with one goal in mind to pursue the american dream and to keep america safe this is what is the result of them pursuing the entrepreneur spirit which is freely to all citizens of this country supposed to be this, so let me make no mistake about it. This type of injustice, this type of conspiracy affects a nation. It affects a culture. It affects our children. What are we going to do about it? Do we sit back? Do we remain silent? Ladies and gentlemen, tonight I, I assure you, you don't have the right to remain silent when injustice runs rampant. Folks, come back with us. AJC Radio kicking off the conspiracy theory, but not a theory, the facts that took six men away from their families, the RP6. We're coming right back on the other side of this break. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world. The United States makes up of only 
of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight is no exception as we uncover the conspiracy facts of the IRP-6 wrongful conviction and the steps that were taken, extraordinary steps that were taken to convict these six men. Who are they? David Banks, Dave DiPolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker wrongfully convicted, sitting in prison now for four years for a crime they did not commit. And tonight we visit this topic because I'll tell you right now, folks, you can say what you want to say. You can believe that it's all pound cake and ice cream, but I guarantee you we have some snakes under the bottom. This justice system is not all sweets and laughs and giggles. Until it happens to you, no one wants to get involved, but tonight AJC Radio and a Just Cause continues the fight for justice for these six men who were patriots of this country. 
did absolutely nothing wrong. And cases like this should make Americans and people around the world outraged. There are a lot of people who have an opinion on the corruption, the injustice that happened to the RP6, including retired federal judge H. Lee Sarakin, who wrote five articles, and you can go out there and find them on the Huffington Post, talking about this case, this injustice that prompted him to write a playwright entitled The Race Card Face Up. We're going to play an expert of that later in the program, talking about what prompted him to do it. Uh, This is something that is critical, that if we remain silent as a society, injustice will continue to run rapid. Right now, we have members on Capitol Hill looking, stopping, saying, what in the world is going on with this case? Something is wrong here. And we got a call from one of the members on the Hill, their, their uh, staff said to us, this is outrageous. I've never seen anything like this. I've been researching this, and we cannot begin to understand the injustice that has happened to these men. And there are many people uh, that have done that. You want to hear some excerpts from uh, interviews that were done with these people uh, in regards to, um, uh, to, the, to the injustice that happened to these men. William? When we begin to break this down, not only do you have a corrupt and a flawed grand jury system that allows only one side to present a case and they can send uh, an indictment. Uh, Congressman Hank uh, uh, Johnson was on the committee to change, totally revamp the grand jury process because I believe, Cliff, we were talking earlier in regards to the case uh, that I believe it was the, the I believe it was the, the maybe the Eric Gardner case where no indictment actually came back uh, on the, on that case or was I mean, it may have been the Michael Brown. We've had so many uh, uh, shootings in this country with unarmed black men, but the, that's when they came under scrutiny. It may have been Ferguson, if I'm not mistaken, where they came under scrutiny because they refused to pursue uh, the proper. Uh, for, for instance, you have a district attorney in a state that's allowed to bring charges. Well, I think it was it was Eric Gardner's case. That was Eric Gardner's case yeah, in New York. No, no indictment. So let me ask you a question, uh, and to our listeners, Cliff. Then, if the district attorney has the power to bring charges, but I defer to the grand jury, what message does that send? Well, what that tells you is, I mean, as soon as that happened, I mean, your take is that well, <laughs> you go to a grand jury when the DA can bring charges. You're knowing the prosecutor is not going for an indictment. Well, they say prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich. Well, if he doesn't come back with an indictment, he must not have wanted to. Absolutely. Speaks to this. With these men, a grand jury was in panel, but it did not bring the result that the prosecutor and the U.S. attorney wanted. The grand jury came back, Cliff, with no indictment. Came back with absolutely no indictment. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And said this is a civil matter. This is a civil case. It should have been left there. But the injustice was pursued. The injustice continued. Uh, William, when you hear that, what does it do to you? Well, I, I, I really, it tells you how crooked the system is and how crooked these people are. Because if you look at, if you look at the situation, Eric Gardner's case was on video. They saw that, and they came back. So the with, facts were the there. The facts were there. You, you didn't have to do anything but watch. 
you come back with no indictment. Decision not to indict. Okay. Now, in the case with these guys, there was nothing, nothing. The first grand jury got it right. There was nothing. It was corporate debt. They manipulated the system. They paddled a second grand jury. There's no telling what the story was because they only called the one officer. And all of a sudden now they come back with an indictment that is a total opposite of the first grand jury. So now you, you, you have to really ask yourself, what in the world were they doing? What, what did they come up with? What did they manufacture then to the second grand jury and to get the indictment? What, how did they demonize this case? How did they demonize these guys to basically get them to the point where, oh, these guys are bad. You know, what they did was absolutely bad. You know, I mean, this, this tells you our system is broken. It is absolutely broken, and they can do whatever they want to, and they run around unchecked. No, absolutely, and, and, and that's my thought. If the grand jury, the first grand jury, stated no case then, does this happen? And who speaks out against it? It raises question number one. If a, one, if a grand jury was impaneled and came back with no indictment, it should have caused the U.S. Attorney's Office to take pause. They chose not to. This is where the corruption begins. This is where the conspiracy begins. This is where the heck with the facts. Let's go ahead and create a crime. Because that grand jury spoke with a one-sided presentation of the facts and said, or the supposed theory of the prosecution, and said, this is a civil case. This isn't a crime. We're not going to bring an indictment on this. Something that has to be stopping point where somebody can oversee, uh, somebody can oversee exactly what's going on. That's true. That's right. true. I mean, when you look at you look at this case and you say, okay, you have the you have a grand jury in panel. You bring witnesses from both sides, and the grand jury said, okay, I've heard two sides of this story. This is a debt collection case. This company was. Uh, trying to develop, market, and sell a product, as any small business trying right. to, and they went in debt doing that. Well, the assistant U.S. attorney Matthew Kirsch and his boss, uh, you know, John Walsh up there in Denver, they didn't like that. So what do they do? Let's impanel a second grand jury, and we're not going to bring witnesses from both sides. We're going to bring a witness that's so biased and so skewed that it there will be no, there will be uh, nothing else that can happen. Except we get an indictment because we're going to bring an FBI agent to say we're going to bring one of our employees who has the who has the uh, the same. It's like okay, your goal is to indict people as well. You're in it. You are an FBI agent. You're saying okay, I've investigated part of this case. Yeah, I want an indictment. I'll say whatever you want to say. Came up and when you look at the transcript of the testimony of uh, Agent Moen on that stand, there's lie after lie after lie after lie, but the prosecutor doesn't bring anybody from the defense's side to say, okay, well, let's, grand jury, let's show you some witnesses from the other side to counter that'll, that. That, that'll counter that. No, he takes that one witness and say, see, I told you there was a crime here. So then what does the grand jury do but say, well, if you guys are saying there there's a crime, there must be a crime. So they get the result that they're looking for when you don't get one grand jury to give you an indictment. You say, well, let me sneak around the system 
use the corrupted the corruptness of the grand jury process, and then I'll get my indictment against, as they say, a ham sandwich or anybody else, and then I can take that to court. And that's the thing. When you look at this case and you look at the fact that it was tried in court, that a, that a, a guilty verdict came back with the, with the judge uh, not allowing uh, witness testimony, not allowing evidence, the prosecutor being able uh, to lie and skew uh, the facts, and the judge not holding him accountable for it. Now you have a case that sets precedence that says if there is a small business that goes into debt, the federal government can call you into question and can try you as a criminal charge saying you never intended to pay your debt. That is called debtor's prison. Now this case is on the book that says we can send you to federal prison well, as a officer of a small business. Hey, this is something that is that just cannot happen. Uh, and, and right now, uh, shortly, we're going to be bringing on uh, Judge uh, Bullock, who we talked about earlier. I'm going to play a clip first of H. Lee Serikin, federal retired judge H. Lee Serikin, talking about uh, the injustices, just a few of them in this case. I think an appellate court would do one of two things. They'd either order that the transcript be produced uh, or they'd have to reverse you know, it would baffles me as to why anyone would deny that motion. Uh, it's inconceivable to me that a judge would say, no, you can't have the record of this trial. It's inconceivable to me in this day and age in the federal court, particularly in Colorado, by the way, which I think has sort of advanced when it comes to computers, that they don't have an alternate way uh, to maintain the, the record. And, uh, the fact that the court reporter doesn't have it or hasn't typed it up, um, as everybody says, is inconceivable. So there's this record exists somewhere, uh, yes. and and for some reason that they're resisting producing it. And I think is a fair inference, and that's why that particular segment of the testimony of the transcript is so important. Because if if that weren't the contention, and there's something missing. Appellate court is liable to say, well, unless there's some prejudicial error involved, what difference does it make? But this is so critical that that's why they want it, and that's what the big fuss is about, and legitimately so. Well, there you have it. Judge Sarakin talking about the transcripts. That we'll get into more of that. Missing transcripts in this case. And we're going to. Folks, this has a lot. We'll probably have to do a part two uh, of this program because this thing is going to get very deep. And we, wanna, we don't want to leave no stone unturned. And right now we're going to bring in federal retired Judge Mary E. Bullock, uh, who I've had the privilege of talking to, a great lady. And Judge, welcome tonight. Thank you. And Lamont, uh, I'm happy to be here. The sadness for me, of course, is that the IRP6 is what the conversation is still about because of the outrageous and unbelievable acts of injustices that once a mistake was made, all the mistakes that followed to hide and cover up something become so much worse, so much quicker than this ever should have been. And the fact that it's still going on when, you know, very important people know about this and aren't doing anything about it 
it, it's it's shocking and it's appalling. And though I'm always happy to talk to you, I'm I'm outraged at the fact that you know these individuals are in prison today for something. And all due respect to politics, Donald Trump should still be in prison for if you're going to go for debt. Let's face oh, it. I mean, you know what? This was a travesty. No, absolutely, and I agree with you. And and and, and judges, as we had the opportunity to talk and to share. Uh, you've been one very vocal about standing up against corruption. Uh, and these, these are things that have to be done. And your support and your, your position, uh, as you see the facts as they are in this case, as a federal, former federal judge, uh, someone very knowledgeable uh, of, the, of the judicial system, how unprecedented is this type of injustice? Actually, truthfully, um, I see it all the time. Government covers up for government officials. Um, the press covers it up. Um, there's when people I call it the silence of the lambs effect. When people, good people, don't stand up to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason, you have to look around and go. This isn't just me seeing this. This just makes sense that this has all gone wrong. And it's all gone wrong because of money. Always money is involved. And they want that, that software. And they, this is what this is about. It's about race. And your comment that says it's about feeling that these people um, aren't as valued, I believe is true. I believe it's true that they want that program. And I believe it's also true that there are so many people high up that are involved in this that basically close their eyes or they had, you know, um, a dialogue and actually closed the doors and decided to consciously do the wrong thing. And I no, believe I... that's what we're at. I think our country, it, and this very case it, it exemplifies it all is going so badly in the wrong direction that, to me, it's terrifying. No, I agree with you. And, and uh, as we fight for these men, Judge, uh, of all the things that they have endured, four years now they have been locked up. A Just Cause has set out to bring attention and to uh, do everything we can in our power to bring this to the attention of the people that need to do it. As, as I shared with you, uh, forward some information to you that the Washington Post just now, recently, in the last few weeks, wrote a story about the IRP six, and uh, it's it, you know getting to a lot of people. Um, how do we stop this type of injustice? How do we get these men home to their families? Uh, our position is to continue to fight until something because happens. Because if you don't fight, then they win. But the scary part is, as I fought um, against corruption as a judge, when I was asked to change a decision so the Securities and Exchange Commission didn't have to suffer a fine and a penalty for discriminating an Equal Pay Act for uh, the two women attorneys that worked for the SEC, when I would not overturn my decision that the SEC was liable and they owed damages to these women, I was retaliated against, and they did everything they could 
to unseat me, to take away my license and my livelihood, to destroy my career. And I still wouldn't be quiet. They've made comments such as, too bad she didn't commit a a federal crime so she could die in in the federal prison. I have MS. So, I mean, that that was their comment. The lead attorney. I mean, that's what they have done to me. They have foreclosed job opportunities. I mean, they they are so powerful. That's what is so scary. So it it looks to me that these people locally are just as afraid to speak out because of what could conceivably happen to them. But there comes a point when you have to say, I cannot look at myself in the mirror. I cannot sleep at night. I cannot go on and have a world like this for my children and grandchildren without making a difference. Because to me, you you can't rationalize your existence in this world, why you're here, if you cannot and will not stand up for the right thing. And I think that's true, Judge, that the failure to act, the failure to speak out, the failure to take a stand contributes to the problem. And it not only contributes to it, but it perpetuates it. Yes. There was a uh, – we had an attorney um, at the onset of this. Uh, Mark Garagos came out uh, and spoke. Um, his initial thought as being an attorney in the judicial system for over 30 years had never seen nothing like this. I want to play this clip, and I'm going to come back and get, get your thoughts on this, Judge. I was fascinated by the issue. I uh, was, uh, at first, I was somewhat aghast and didn't really believe that uh, the way they had portrayed it to me, that it actually had occurred. And then as we kind of dug into it and drilled down in it, um, the the very issue that Gwendolyn was just talking to you about um, actually occurred. And the transcript mysteriously has disappeared. 31 years is the first time I've ever encountered a federal court transcript disappearing. And it's not just, you know, randomly any transcript. It's the single biggest issue in this case. This case just has so many peculiar and unbelievable little twists and turns to it that you'd almost have to say there has to be some kind of outside influence or motivation for why these guys were prosecuted, why they got what I consider to be outrageous prison terms, um, and why. By all accounts, and I've got all the documentation, I've looked through it, by all accounts, the software program that they had developed was a, an enormously successful uh, tool for law enforcement. So it's almost like law enforcement cannibal, cannibalized their, themselves on this case. And you have to wonder, what was the motivation? Who was driving this? Well, look, the... In 20 minutes, I couldn't even scratch the surface of all the uh, problems that there are with this case. I will tell you that I think at least initially uh, that when you have a bench conference which implicates uh, the – of somebody having to waive their right not to testify, get on the stand to testify, and they're on the horns of a dilemma between testifying or having their defense shut down, um, and that transcript disappears, that alone causes me great, great pause. And that's uh, the single reason that I decide to get involved. And until somebody says, wait a second here, if I'm going to incarcerate some young men 
who were not, you know, these are not crack dealers out on the corner. These are guys who were out there trying to develop a program to help law enforcement. And by all accounts, some world-renowned experts said it was a very good program and a helpful program and something that just was not on the market. Um, and we're going to criminalize these guys and uh, criminalize their corporation and their their actions, and we're going to warehouse them for years and years and years in federal prisons. And we don't even have a transcript to back up what I consider to be a vital constitutional issue. That, that to me, smells. That uh, more than smells. It's putrid. Well, there you have it. I mean, if that's not a ringing uh, uh, endorsement uh, of the legitimate uh, point that these men were serious, Cliff, serious businessmen with a dream and a vision, that comes from someone who's been in the in the judicial system, judge, for over 30 years. I, I well understand what he said, which was well stated. I, too, have been in the system for 30 years, and I have never. Well, I've seen corruption, but this is taking somebody's liberty. This is destroying, really destroying individuals. They will never be the same. Their lives, they they trashed them. They, they took what were decent, kind, loving human beings and treated them in such a manner as to destroy their very souls. No amount of money for false imprisonment can ever make this right for them. Nothing can ever make this right for them. What it's done to our Constitution um, is they they paid no attention. Now, with a missing transcript, the right thing to have done would to have been at least take an adverse inference, which is to say, well, this <laughs> this is impossible, and this doesn't happen, and... Um, why no one wants to talk about the elephant in the room, I don't know, because the thing is, it's not transparent. It's clear as day. Everyone can see it. No one wants to talk about it. And then they have to come up with a reason for why they're not talking about it, and it gets more convoluted and more convoluted. And that's what's happened. I I seriously um, hope that when these um, judicial violations come up, that someone takes a serious hand to these judges and the prosecutor, because I, I just am in total disbelief. I mean, this is so out there, so egregious, that you have to shake your head and say, I have to believe that justice will prevail. Because when I came on the show, knowing that I was going to talk to you about this, it to me was very depressing. I listen to CNN all the time. I listen to the news. You know, I watch our the political activity, and I see the IRP6, and I go, I this basically encapsulates our whole society's um, corruption, misconduct, um, tossing out the Constitution that they sworn to uphold. It's that fundamental fairness of not having to testify against yourself to bring in your own witnesses and your own documents to prove your innocence um, because liberty is so precious. No, I, I shocking to me. No judge. And I believe that impact uh, is, is the same for a lot of people, the families, the, the mothers, the, 
the siblings, the children. That but we all should be concerned because this, this basically encapsulates where our society is going to disregard no, I, the Constitution. No, absolutely. And, uh, judge, to have this kind of misconduct. The Department of Justice is, is known for taking these kinds of liberties. And when you see prosecutors in other cities and states do this, it, it, you are so shocked that you cannot believe that those people actually, that the jury didn't figure out that they were being taken for a ride. Because basically this comes down to debt, and all entrepreneurs have debt, all startup companies. That's right. I mean, it's, it's, to me, I, I, I can't even fathom. Somebody wants this program. Somebody, I hope they don't have it, but, you know, I mean, eventually we're going to see what comes up from this because something is going to happen. Oh, I have no doubt about that. And, uh, Judge, we're going to come back on the other side of the break. William had something to add, and then we're going to play a clip from your previous appearance on our show on the, as we go to break. We're going to come back. You have a few more minutes you can spend with us? Absolutely. Okay, we appreciate that. William, your thoughts? Uh, Judge, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show and your views. Um, I mean, because it's, it's, it's true. It's real. It's refreshing. The fact that, that you pointed out it's about the software. It's about the money. Yes. That's the motivation behind all of it. And mm-hmm. you know, I just wanted to make that comment to say thank you because people are – they don't want to deal with the fact that somebody, some entity, somewhere – put together this plan and they want the software that that guys developed and it was truly a great software great product and you know i just wanted to make that comment it would have prevented another 9-11 and that is in in and of itself as the facts are revealed to think that somebody's uh, greed and corruption and lack of moral fiber is going to let something else happen to this country because these individuals together were so bright and constructive and put together an investigative software and investigative methods that could have saved another tragedy. But because somebody's greedy and money for them is everything, these people lost their lives and and our country is going to lose because of it. And, Judge, we appreciate that. We're going to talk about that software. The good news of that, that software is under lock and key, and no one was able to get it. And we still have an opportunity to do the right thing. Get these men out of prison now. And that software can be implemented immediately. We're coming right back, folks. This is AJC Radio tonight, uncovering the conspiracy factor and the facts that locked up the IRP-6. Who are they? Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. We continue to fight for justice. We'll be right back. The racial composition of the prison population in the United States is very different from the population at large. 
If people are worried about inequality in America today, I think this deserves more attention in the discussion. Racial inequality in the criminal justice system gets ignored because it doesn't affect most people. In 2010, over 1.6 million people were in state and federal prisons within the United States. So 497 out of every 100,000 Americans were in jail, about half of 1%. Less than 1%. It doesn't seem very large, but when you separate that population by race, you recognize that the personal effects of the criminal justice system are very unequally shared throughout our society. Whites make up 64% of the total population, but only 31% of the incarcerated population. Blacks represent 14% of society, but 36% of the prison population. Hispanics are 16% of America, but 24% of the American prison population. Less than one in 100 Americans are currently in jail, but for some races, genders, and age groups, that ratio is a lot larger. For example, if you're young, black, and male, it's closer to about one in four. That means you'd have a higher probability of going to jail than of getting married or going to college. These results are unequal and problematic as poor black communities lack so many of their members. But what can be done? The causes of this trend are undoubtedly complicated and multi-causal. But there is reason to suggest that part of the blame is our criminal justice system itself. In the ways police officers enforce laws, in the ways that laws are written and prosecuted, and more. In many cases, it is not overt racism by individual actors. Many police officers, prosecutors, and judges are undoubtedly trying to be fair and trying to do the right thing. But economics can explain how unequal enforcement of the criminal law happens anyway. This is because the political and bureaucratic structure of the criminal justice system creates perverse incentives. The formal laws surrounding drug prohibition, for example, are written as if to be colorblind. But people with different levels of wealth face different costs and benefits to participating in the drug trade. Different groups consume different drugs at different rates and... Lastly, those groups are politically represented in very different quantities. Thus, they are arrested and incarcerated at very different rates. How could minority groups hope to use the political process to fix inequality when they are systematically over-incarcerated and disenfranchised? Despite noble intentions, politics often does not affect the basic incentives of costs and benefits faced by political or citizen actors. We might need a new approach to social change if we are going to address these problems. We definitely need more study into the causes of inequality, and we should admit that radical changes might be both necessary and preferable to the status quo. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight is no exception, as we've been joined by the Honorable Retired Federal Judge Mary E. Bullock, uh, giving some true insight to the conspiracy, the corruption, and everything you can think of that is affecting our judicial system. And it's been a pleasure having her. And Ms. Bullock, welcome back in joining us. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. 
You know, right. um, one thing yes. I wanted to say was a word conspiracy. Some people, because um, they that word seems to have a meaning for some, as if it's all made up, um, and it, in no way could these set of facts under any circumstance happen without someone catching it. But people don't realize that today the system is so corrupt that people are so afraid to stand up and say, don't, don't you see what's wrong with this picture? They are so frightened of losing their jobs and having all the things that happened to me, for example, happen to them. You know, and I've had friends say, oh, my gosh, I'm living your life now. And I went, oh, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But the reality is, you know, they are so fearful and they are so afraid of the word conspiracy to even use that as if it would make them conspiracy nuts as you would have it. But the fact is, when people get together and make decisions to do the wrong thing all for some other reason other than the right reason, um, it is indeed a conspiracy. And it takes a um, well-managed conspiracy to keep it in this kind of position where the facts are so clear, crystal clear. And what should happen when you don't have a, a transcript an adverse inference, at the very least, where um, against the state and for, and for the um, IRP6, that it shocks the conscience to think in a civilized society that we let people get away with this and say nothing. Well, I say there should be plenty to be said about it and should be said, and we've studied it to death. It's time to do something. No, absolutely, Judge. We agree with that. And Cliff, as we were talking before break, uh, we were discussing the software. Uh, that software is more viable today than it was during creation. Cliff, give some insight to our listeners and to judge on this. Where is it at? Yeah, I mean, that software is about, you know, four times the capability uh, that it was uh, during the time, you know, leading up to the raid of IRP solutions. Uh, like Lamont alluded to, uh, the software was not confiscated by the government. You know, they thought that they had it. And like you said, uh, Judge Bullock, they, that's what they came in for. Everything pointed to that. They, they claimed, you know, in the search warrant that they were there for financial records. The financial records were set in front of them. They never touched them the whole night. They were there 13 hours claiming they were collecting financial records. Image every computer in the building. Uh, but again, they did not get the software. The, the um, IRP6 and the rest of the, the uh, developers at IRP Solutions continued to develop the Silk software until it's uh, at least three times as robust as it was back then. So it has uh, 18 modules uh, that, it, that um, are available with it now. And when you look at how the Silk software came to fruition, these were requirements by Department of Homeland Security. So like you said, Judge, the people looked at this software and, and also to echo what Judge Sarkin said, men looked at this software and said, hey, we're professionals in the field. This is, the, this is software that is needed. DHS gave customizations and requirements to IRP Solutions to say this is what we need you to create for us to be able to do our job, to consolidate law enforcement across the federal spectrum so that we would never experience another 9-11, so that we could uh, you know, track terrorist cells 
and sleeper sales such as ISIS that's going on today. That is what this software was built for. And then you have the federal government that comes in, tries to steal it, doesn't get it. So what do they do? They say we have to shut these men up to ensure that this piece of software does not get in the mainstream at their hand. So that they lock them up and, uh, you know, as it was put before, warehouse them in federal prison to ensure that their software doesn't get pushed. Uh, but again, that software was, was not confiscated. It is, uh, you know, under lock and key. But the software is more robust than it ever has been. And um, it, right now, when you look at the state of, of America, the state of the world, this software is needed more now than it was uh, after 9-11, which, which is what gave the, uh, the men, the IRP-6 and those working with them, the idea to make the software. And it is just a tragedy. And, and you know, Judge, you said about the word conspiracy, that people look at it as a negative connotation from just the use of the word. But it just means that, you know, there, there's a plan by a group of people to do something unlawful or harmful. And when you look at the IRP-6 situation, you look at people who came together to unlawfully prosecute these men and try to shut them up uh, and, and keep their software out of the hand of Department of Homeland Security. And we want to, you know, as a just cause, help to ensure that this software gets implemented, that it gets stood up, that the federal government can fight the good fight against uh, terrorism. And, and this was built for law enforcement. And to have them be the very people who come in and, uh, you know, lock you up and put you behind bars wrongfully, that is the tragedy of the entire situation. It makes me believe something else is behind us, and that's what's so frightening. No, absolutely. I agree with you on that. And and I'm going to play another clip for you, Judge. I want to get your thoughts on it. Ann Bremner uh, was totally blown away by the circumstances of this case. Let's hear what she had to say. I'm going to get your thoughts right after this legal analyst has ever heard. I mean, especially, you know, to me, the whole thing with not allowing experts to be called, I mean, that's just, that's just completely, you know, in opposite to, you know, what our, you know, our rights are in, in a courtroom and, and the need to have experts in a courtroom on cases like this. But the fact of losing transcripts, and ironically, as my grandma would say, what a coinky dink, what a coincidence, that the part that's missing deals with the Fifth Amendment violation where they're forced to testify. Isn't that the mm-hmm. allegation? But it's not in there. I mean, I never hear transcripts <laughs> being lost, ever. And if, if there's a lack of a record, you've got some remedies, which is, you know, you should reverse the case. There's not a record to review. I mean, that's part of it, too. But yet they haven't gotten that. And the fact is, mm-hmm. is you don't dismiss an expert witness and tell the jury that they were not timely. I mean, that should have been decided way before the fact. You created the crime. I mean, in a lot of ways. I mean, basically, there's a, the, what preceded the crime. I mean, it's just they weren't able to be debt-free because of what you did. And by the way, the prosecutors should never leak that there might be an indictment. That's all grand jury proceedings are supposed to be confidential. Um, But then they basically put the accused in harm's way and set them up to be convicted and to not have that income. It's just, you know, one of the things you know is the prosecutor's job is to see that justice is done. You know, not to win any cause, but to do justice. And that wasn't done here, we know. I mean, we went to law school for years for this. Right. I've never, in, in the cases I've covered as an analyst, as a prosecutor or as a defense lawyer, ever seen a judge hold a pro se litigant to a higher standard, ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if they did, they wouldn't say it. Because mm-hmm. that, that's, that's going to be trouble on appeal, too, for the prosecution. You can't do that. I mean, because they can't, they can't be held to that standard. They're incapable 
of attaining that standard just by virtue right. of a lack of training. No, I was just going to say, just take a look at the Oscar Pistorius trial as an example. They've had delays over there all the time with witnesses that can't get there just because they don't quite judge the day right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They have empty afternoons. You see, you know, courts recess. You know, the fact <laughs> is, is that you have to work around people's schedules. I mean, and especially when the prosecutor says, I'm going to take three weeks, not, you know, a week and a half or three and a half weeks. That's ridiculous. No fault of their own. They're penalized again. And that just shows prejudice, too, on the part of the judge. Hey. Well, there you have it, Judge. Uh, let me just say this. Well, she's a, she did an analysis and a very good analysis, and she is just as outraged as all of us. But something, as you said, something has to move sure. to get the attention that we need to have the events reviewed, to have somebody with some power somewhere, whether it's not just 100 people in front of the federal building, but we need thousands and thousands of people. So someone will pay attention and do something. You know, I can bang my head against the government, you know, the federal government, but, you know, um, and and I do. But we need people to come to the realization that life is going right before them and the things that that they take for granted, you know, are not going to be here one day because of this very kind of behavior which has very much, as you said, a Machiavellian um, twist and turn to it. Very serious. Oh, absolutely. Well, I agree with you on that. And, Judge, I'll tell you this. She made a good point. And, and, ladies and gentlemen of America, please pay attention clearly. Ann Brenner said, I went to law school for years for this. This is not something that, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. You cannot continue to discount every judge, every formal prosecutor, every attorney, it says something is wrong here. You cannot continue just to turn a blind eye to that. It's unacceptable. Because as, as, you, as you say, Judge, this is something that has uh, to have an impact. It has to say, wait a minute. What about the children of these men? What about their wives? What about their church community? What about what they did in community? All the things you've done to these men and the kicker without cause without any facts to support your theory it's uncomprehendable to me ladies and gentlemen to get in on the conversation tonight 347-838-8976 that number is 347-838-8976 it is high time that we do not continue to remain silent and this is something that has to be dealt with, as, as Judge, you allude to. You, you speak so passionate, too. I believe there are thousands that feel the exact same way. But because we it's a federal something. we need to do something. And, and we've studied it to death. You know, the federal yes. government's way of handling this is to make a committee or a commission. We've studied these problems to death. This is a repeat of government misconduct at the at the worst level I've ever seen it. Something is wrong here. Any right-minded person would say, "What's up?" I mean, this picture that sure. doesn't doesn't work. It's it, it's there's 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 lots of things amiss. No, absolutely. And and and, and Judge, I'll tell you now. And ladies and gentlemen, 
Judge Bullock, 30 years in the criminal justice system, 30 years in the judicial system in this country. I believe what she says carries weight. This is, these are things that over the years, and as, as Judge Bullock, you alluded to, the, the pressure, the threats made to you as a judge to change your position on something. I mean, where does it end? And what well, world have we I was told that I had to change it um, and grieve it later, but this was the chairwoman appointed by the president, the chairwoman who's telling me to change it, and my supervisorial command. So I said, well, who do I grieve this to, then the president? Right, that's really going to work. I said, I'm not changing it. I'm sorry. Good for you. Good for you. It's illegal and it's unethical, and I won't do it. And where would we be as a country if we had more judges like Judge Bullock, William? When you when you hear Judge Bullock talk, the conviction. Had that conviction been in the case with the IRP six, they would be home with their families right now. Right. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. I mean it's it's you know, it's refreshing. It's refreshing when somebody actually takes a stand for justice instead of for, you know, some agenda, some motive, uh somebody's purse or pocketbook. Yeah. You know, and so that's that's why, you know, it's so needful that people listen to this show, listen to, to what we're talking about here, listen to the perspective of this judge that has served 30, you know, in this system and is fighting. Go ahead, Judge. No, I was just going to say that whether I've been in the classroom as, as a law professor or a college professor whether it's been as as an attorney or a judge, I have seen so much corruption. Um, you know what what the end motive for these people began, I'm sure is very different today um, because of so much that has been uncovered and talked about. And lining it up and looking at it from a logical basis. There's no way that these these set of circumstances could have just happened by coincidence. These happened on purpose, and then the corruption got worse, and they were afraid that the whole thing would fall apart, and so it became more corrupt and more outrageous and more outrageous till people, I think, just they didn't know what to say. I mean, right before their very eyes, because we are so used to keeping our mouth closed that people were afraid to speak up. Because I cannot believe that not one person who went through this whole thing didn't say, "This, there's something wrong here. What's wrong with this picture? Well, and I mean, saying, I could take my high school yeah. kids in or, or my college kids in and have a debate afterwards, and you bet they'd call the question. They ask the question. Why aren't they asking the question? Why are we the only ones asking the question? And we're the only ones they come after afterwards, by the way. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. They come after me so much I'm used to it. Oh, but, you know, you have to ask yourself, how many people know about this and do nothing? No, I, like I, I said, I, I was so depressed coming on thinking to myself, I can't believe this is still going on. This yeah. is so outrageous. No, without question. And uh, Ronald Huff, see, Ronald Huff had a question 
in regards to why are the RP6 men in prison? These are the questions. We interviewed Congressman Charles Rangel uh, on this show. He said, we, in order to change the system, we have to get the questions to the people that can deliver the answers. Thus, the, the conversations on Capitol Hill, the talks with lawmakers, the talks with the judicial members of the Judiciary Committee of Congress. This is what we do. Lamont, they know they're doing it wrong. They know the system is a mess. They don't want to correct it for a whole variety of reasons. Let's hear what I think people are lazy. I mean, they're just, they, they owe too many people favors. I mean, the fact that by the time you arrest somebody and they're trying to make them take um, a plea deal when they didn't even do it. I mean, how many people, uh, yeah. the percentages are high that are in prison that didn't do it. Oh, I agree with you. I mean, it's just outrageous. And so, I mean, the system is so bad. I've seen um, different national justice um, organizations do study after study, but I'm tired of studies. Everybody knows what the problem is. Nobody wants to work on the problem. I can't believe, I mean, as a teenager, I thought the system was corrupt. And, but nobody's done anything. It's just become worse. We've locked up more people. And, yes, we have. And the numbers We're continue. We're just warehousing them. That's it. It's just unbelievable. I mean, nobody does anything for a change. And if you are a change agent like me, you challenge other people's balance, and they don't like change. They don't want change. So then they have to lie about you, threaten you, because you have threatened their balance. Oh, absolutely. I understand uh, the dynamics well. No, and I, and I can hear it, and I think it's very important, very informative to our listeners. Uh, Jonah Goldsmith, uh, I'm sorry, Goldsmith, uh, came on speaking as far as the lack of due process uh, in the IRP6 case. Had very pointed words to say that the due process was not there for these men, and thus the conclusion that the system failed the IRP-6. Let's see what she had to say. First, on appeal, and I assume there's an appeal pending in this case, but um, uh, the the issue is a due process issue. It seems to me uh, the judge should have... um, uh, entertained their motion for continuance. So these defendants uh, in this uh, uh, IRP6 case, it sounds like, were the victims of that kind of uh, philosophy, that cases, trials cannot be postponed for any reason whatsoever, unless maybe, uh, you know, death of legal counsel or something like that, which wouldn't be relevant here. So I think that's that's the problem, but I think it is. Uh, it was uh, probably prejudicial. I don't know enough about all the different witnesses and what their reasons were for not attending and so on. But but uh, if a case can be made that uh, witnesses could not attend because they were unable to come to this new earlier date. Uh, they had established, uh, you know, they had carved out their schedule for a later time and just couldn't possibly come any earlier. Why, that seems to me would be a denial of due process on the part of the judge. Well, maybe now's the time to file a misconduct complaint with the, uh, uh, is it the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals there in Colorado? Yes, yeah. they do the Tenth Circuit. 
Oh, I, I would, uh, you know, suggest that maybe that's a route to take if you can get affidavits together um, and make that claim. Uh, it's really unfortunate there was nothing on the record. That's, that's really uh, unfortunate. And there you have it. And uh, correction by me, that was Jonah, the gentleman speaking, uh, not Joanne, but Jonah uh, speaking here in regards to the RP6, the due process, the failure there. Um, judge, yes. everybody's talking. But you said it's not everybody's enough. Everybody's what? Everybody's talking about the injustice, but who will step out and do something? Well, I'm going to write a brief. I'm best at that, and I certainly would go up to Washington and throw myself on people's desks. <laughs> you know, you have to listen to me. You're going to kick a blind woman out? Oh, come on. <laughs> you know? no. I, mean, I mean, that's how passionate I feel about it. I just throw no, myself I, on people's desks and say, you have to listen. You can't kick me out. I mean, how will that look? I'd have the National Enquirer behind me. They kick out a blind woman? I don't think so. No, no absolutely. <laughs> we appreciate your passion and, and your uh, love for the RP6 and for, for, the, for the pursuit of justice. Uh, that says a lot about who you are. And ladies and gentlemen of America, feel free to call in 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. And now we're going to hear from uh, a gentleman that uh, was part, uh, who actually witnessed the conspiracy uh, where threats were made. Uh, basically for him to talk, I'll let him uh, introduce himself, and he'll share what he felt on part of the conspiracy facts that happened in this case to ensure that justice would not be applied. And right now joining us is Sean. Are you with us? Yes, I'm, I'm here. All right, Sean, introduce yourself to the folks and explain to us and to our listeners and to Judge Bullock how you were intimidated, if you will, and uh, come against because of, of your stand. Well, uh, my name is Sean Houghton, and uh, I was a contractor working for IRP6, um, at IRP, and, uh, well, the FBI agents, um, one FBI agent and one IRS agent, uh, they tried to track me down, came to my job twice. They wouldn't leave in messages. They wouldn't tell who they were. Uh, so I got a call from my um, from the front desk at home that uh, – there were some men at the job looking for me. They didn't leave a name or anything. So they ended up coming at my house. Well, unfortunately, I didn't know my rights, which is a, a problem with most of uh, the citizens. We don't know our rights. So they take, tend to uh, try to abuse that and take advantage of us. And so when they came, uh, they told me who they were, and I, they wanted to come in and talk to me about the, the case and so they sat down and they tried to tell me, you know, well, uh, we want to get some information from you. What, uh, you know, what went on at RRP, at RRP Solutions, and um, we want to know uh, what, who told you to do um, the things that was done, and um, and so they tried to tell me that, well, we have this is how we do. We have we have one two sides here. We have a good side. We have a bad side, and now your folder, we're holding your folder, and um, depending on how your cooperation is, 
we'll decide which side you, we're going to put your folder in. Either they're going to be on the good side or on the bad side. And so they tried to. Uh, I had no information to give to them because I didn't. There was nothing wrong. Uh, they didn't tell me that I was on investigation. Um, so they kept trying to get me to tell them something like. I don't have anything to tell you. I work there, and this is what my position was. This is the job I did. And so they told me, well, uh, we don't want you to tell anybody that we came to see you, but um, we want to know how you feel about we going to see your manager at your workplace. And I said, see my manager? Why would you see my manager? They said, well, we want to find out how does he feel about you working two jobs. And I said, well, there's a whole bunch of folks work two jobs including you. <laughs> and so um and so he tried to say, Well, um well not that's uh, you know, I'm not the one that we're talking about. I said, Well, um and so they asked me what I do with my money. I said, same thing you do with your money. <laughs> so, right. so they wanna know they wanna know if I donate all the money to the church or whatever. I say I spend my money just like you spend. Spend your money. And so they said, Well we're gonna we want, we're gonna um, see what your manager has to say. I said, well, fine, go and talk to my manager. It doesn't matter to me for the simple fact that my manager already knew uh, that I worked a, a second job, and he already knew who I worked for because I talked about IRP uh, to my coworkers and my manager and stuff uh, many a time. Right, and, and so, then I, no, so it, it sounds to me uh, these were blatant acts to basically an act of intimidation, Judge. Uh, to threaten this man's job? His- they threatened his livelihood. They threatened his life. They made him feel bad about what he is as a person, what he's doing to support his family. How dare they? And the first statement he said was absolutely correct, and you had a really good attitude, which was to say, you know what, people don't generally know what their rights are when these bullies come to the door because they right. come to my door and put their their feet in the doorway so I couldn't close the door, and I slammed it in their face. They woke me up at 4:30 um, about uh, something about a client of mine. They they flown in from Washington D.C. I I thought it was FedEx. I answered the door in my nightgown, and he puts his foot on the door of the FBI, and I slammed it in his face. I said, "At what point do I have to speak to you about why I have nothing to say to you?" I said, yeah. "You know." Um, he said, "Well, we came out here, and we'll just sit." And I said. Fine, you'll sit until I wake up, have my coffee, and then when I'm ready to talk to you, when I'm ready about what I feel is appropriate, then I'll talk to you, but not until then. So you can sit your happy ass down here until I'm ready. <laughs> it no, wasn't I, very uh, pleasant I, for them. I, I, I tell you what, uh, these are things, and Sean, thanks for the call, by the way. Uh, these are things that need to be told to the American people, that our justice system is not the greatest system in the world. We 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 have long. I don't even know when it was the greatest system in the world because we have had injustice. Wherever injustice is, you can't claim greatness. And no, injustice you can't. is running rampant in this country right now. Judge, we don't want to keep you. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, we can uh, come back. Hear your closing thoughts to the American people. How do we fix this problem? How do we go forward? And uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to tell that to our listeners. Okay. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we continue to bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, a very important discussion regarding six very important men. Who are they? The IRP6, Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, 
Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Tonight we have begun reveal the conspiracy facts that locked these men up wrongfully and robbed them from their families. Folks, we're coming back here on AJC Radio as we continue the discussion, and we hear closing remarks from federal retired judge Mary Bullock. We'll be right back, folks. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time smart justice and we need your help And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, again, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, a very special program dedicated to the IRP6, Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Six men wrongfully convicted, and the conspiracy story 
and facts continue. And joining us tonight, we've had the honor and the great privilege of uh, the Honorable uh, Federal Retired Judge Mary E. Bullock. And we have been very uh, pleased with her tonight. And, uh, uh, Judge, we appreciate you so much for taking time, and and we we appreciate your passion uh, for what we're doing here tonight. Thank you so much for joining us and being a part of this program. Well, thank you. And one thing that I would I would ask people is to support you through their donations. Not everyone has the time or the ability to do some of the things that you and I can do, but I ask of everyone to ask questions, to not just coexist, but when something doesn't make sense, ask the question. In your own way, you do using your own um, talents that have been given to you through life and your own skills that to to have people make sense and be held accountable, those that hold positions as government officials, whether they're appointed or elected, ask the question, get involved, because this society cannot continue to go on as it is. We will implode. It's just a matter of whether it's on our children's time or our grandchildren's. But something has to change. Change only comes about through change agents and people who are willing to stand up. Not, I'm not saying lose your job. I'm just saying ask the question. No, Tell absolutely. people you notice. No, absolutely, Judge. And uh, do you want folks to get a hold of you if they want to talk to you, if they want to get information? Is there a way they can reach you? or? Absolutely. Um, I have um, an email. It's Judge Bullock, B-U-L-L-O-C-K, 1949, at gmail.com. Okay. And, uh, uh, Judge, we'll be in touch with you offline uh, t- uh, late, probably tomorrow sometime. Uh, enjoy your evening. Thank you for your contribution to this show. It has definitely opened our eyes. It's touched us in ways uh, that we cannot begin to express. And we appreciate you so much uh, for what Thank you're you. doing. Thank okay. you. All right, we'll be back. All right. right. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the Honorable Judge Mary Bullock, retired federal judge, 30 years in the system, and says she has never seen anything like this. She said, I have seen corruption. I have seen things that are just not right. But this, as you heard her talking, Lisa, uh, there was a sense of true passion, a true uh, warrior, if you will, uh, to fight for these men your thoughts on the on the judge i believe that she was very it was very obvious that she felt for this situation and that it was something that was uh that was that that meant something to her it was dear to her and i think if we had more people in her position that felt that way that would stand up and say something things would get done a lot quicker because people tend to just sit back and watch things being done wrong, watch things going wrong, and they don't really concern themselves with it because, you know, it's really not them. It's not affecting their life in, that, that in, any, in any big way. So they just they look at it, they see it, and say, yeah, well, that's not really right, but they just keep on going. We need more people that are willing to actually say something and stand up and say, this is not right. Something needs to be done. I mean, the judge said, I will go to Washington and throw myself on the desk. Yes. I mean, th- that wasn't just words. No, it wasn't. This is a judge that uh, believes in the RP6, believes, and as we talk, as we hear the conversation uh, from folks that are saying there is something wrong here. There is a problem. William, when you hear this, can't be, someone must be held accountable 
for remaining silent. That's true. That's true. And I, and I think, you know, Lisa said it, and, I, and you have to respect the judge for using the platform that she has and her, her credibility and her experience to say, listen, this is just wrong. I mean, and more people need to do it. More people need to do it. So, you know, even as you're talking, you know, I was thinking about a couple of weeks ago when Jesse Williams came out. He had a, he had an opportunity to address some of the things, some of the issues that's going on. He saw fit to actually use his platform and say, "Listen, this is wrong, and others need to do that." The bottom uh, line. Yeah, and so it, 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 by not saying anything, you're complicit. You're basically agreeing, but by taking a stand. Then you're sitting here saying, you know what, this is wrong because it could happen to me. It could happen to my family or it could happen to yours. So, you know, it's, it's critical. It's critical we make a, take a stand. And make no mistake about it, folks. This, these are real men, human beings who hurt just like you and I do, uh, who has a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, a child that is asking the question, when, can, when is daddy coming home? When is my brother coming home? Where are the good times ahead for these men? And we sit and remain silent as injustice continues day after day to run rapid in this country. Someone needs to speak. And Judge Bullock, we salute you tonight for you speaking out and taking a stand. UW Clement came on and had some comments about the IRP6 case. Let's hear what he had to say. Oh, no, I, I take that that I have not I have not uh, read the transcripts of, of that of that case, uh, but I, I, I am familiar with the the legal issue on appeal, and and uh, I, I know that it is it is almost unheard of that there would be a missing transcript of a of a uh, very important uh, colloquy between a defendant and the court. Uh, in the ordinary course of things, if the transcript is missing, the judge should order a new trial uh, or, or otherwise set aside the conviction. I'll not go, I'll not go any forward in, uh, any further in the case. But I knew that I do know that that issue. Um, that issue uh, is is most unusual. You have well, you, would, you would ordinarily you would ordinarily allow for say six uh, six months for the 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 record to be filed and the briefs to be filed and and uh, a- after that after that point uh, you know there I don't see any excuse for the delay in uh, in disposing of the case. But but uh, there there is uh, obvious explanation for the extraordinary delay that there has been in the processing of the of the case. Now, as for the 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 proffer to the United States Attorney, uh, you have to understand that prosecutors have almost unbridled discretion. And while you would think that if if I, if I'm indicted and I uh, am innocent and I want to present to the prosecutor the evidence which which establishes my innocence, you would think that the prosecutor would be willing to entertain it. 
you would expect that. And I understand that um, this missing transcript bears on the um, the uh, Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination and some uh, uh, indication by the judge that uh, she was about to wrap up. And again, those are the thoughts of uh, Judge U.W. Clemens speaking about uh, the conduct, the actions here that simply don't add up, uh, that the considerations that should have been made were not made. Example after example of due process being violated. William, when you hear that, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, my thoughts are this. You know, everybody is echoing the same thing. So after you hear, you know, this unanimous majority of people saying, hey, it is, the process failed, uh, you know, over and over again. I mean, how many, you know, how many more times is it going to take? You know, how many more people is it going to is it going to take to take a stand and say, listen, you know what? This is wrong. This is all completely wrong. And so, you know, I, I just I just really. I guess I really respect the show. I, I appreciate the show. I hope everybody else that's out there listening understands that, you know, this is going on, and not only in this case, but in others, you know, constantly. No, absolutely. And those are things that have to be looked at, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is a real story. These are real people. These are real families. These are real men who, who just woke up in the morning and thought to do something good and became prey of the judicial system. Yes. That, that's uncomprehendable to me. Uh, how do you wake up, go to bed, and wake up the next morning and you pray for a system that will destroy you or make every attempt to do so? Well, in, and Judge, Judge Bullock said it best, too. She's, she talked about you know, how they, their whole life was changed and altered, not only them but their families, their loved ones, everyone that, that was there. It changed everything. It changed the course of their lives, and it will forever impact them. It was, yeah. You know, I mean, you sit there and you think about the guys. You know, uh, I know Demetrius has a young daughter, you know, and, and when he – she's since graduated while he's been in. You know, and you're watching these kids grow. This is sad, and people don't understand that, but you're watching families – you they know, fall time, apart. Yeah, they fall apart. Time does not stand still just because the loved one is not there. And so, yes, it, it's heart-wrenching to watch this. These, these were, I mean, these are great men. These were men that were up, upstanding in their community. They, I mean, loved their families, and now they're not there. They're the breadwinners of their families. Their families had to, you know, now have had to do other things, you know, and, you know, have income coming in. I mean, all this stuff is things that have happened because the judicial system and these, these judges, prosecutors, you know, they went after these guys. They targeted them, went after them, and they wrongfully convicted them. No, absolutely right. And these are things, again, uh, that simply cannot go ignored. AJC Radio and A Just Cause is committed to that fact. Uh, until we stand up, and Judge Bullock made it very clear, the moment you stop fighting, they win. Not on my watch. Not on your watch should not be on anyone's watch that believes in justice. And we have an obligation to speak to that. Uh, I'll tell you what, folks. Um, you want to join the conversation? 347-838-8976. 
347-838-8976. And Andrew Craig came uh, to speak, another voice that spoke out about the unusual sentencing of uh, nonviolent offenders in the system, uh, no criminal record. The outrageousness of the sentencing was insane. Let's hear what Andrew Craig had to say. Well, one thing is the length of the sentence. Uh, I'm just going to speak in very broad terms. But uh, with the the budget problems that everybody knows the government has, with the devastation that uh, uh, a a jail sentence can bring, uh, it's highly, highly unusual. And um, just a total red flag to have these kinds of long sentences for a white-collar crime. So even taking the prosecution's case on a superficial level at first glance, uh, it just doesn't look right. And then once it gets your attention, you start digging down and things like the transcripts. And I'm sure your audience has heard about the judge, uh, the retired federal judge who wrote about the missing transcripts, but uh, uh, in the Huffington Post and elsewhere, that's quite unusual for a judge to uh, inter- intervene uh, like that. So he clearly must have and did see an aberration of the system. And to his point, uh, Andrew Craig talking about, Cliff, the, the unusual sentencing for white-collar crime to these, uh, to these six men. Uh, unheard of. Shouldn't happen. Uh, everybody's saying – everybody is saying what in the world is going on. But when do we take action? Cliff, your thoughts? Well, it just speaks to the entire system. Uh, you know, the system is broken. You, Everybody looking at it says, you know, there is something wrong with the system. It needs to be changed. It needs to be fixed. Well, we have to begin to implement that change. I mean, uh, former Attorney General Eric Holder said, you know, there's too many people that are locked up in prison for no good law enforcement reason. But what did he do to get them out? I mean, you see a push going on now for the insanity of the uh, of the drug sentencing from the 80s, and that's all well and good. But there are other people who are locked up innocently, who have outrageous sentences that uh, that the, it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be alleviated. You can't just say, okay, we're going back and getting the uh, you know the laws that were out of control from 20 years ago, and we're trying to bring those up today. What about the uh, you know the white collar issues? Where I mean, how do you? How do you feasibly, as a judge, put someone in prison with basically the maximum sentence as a first-time offender? How do you how do you not deal with the fact that we need to go and ensure that people who don't deserve to be in prison, those should be the first people that we're looking to get out. Those should be the first people that, hey, these are the people that do not deserve to be in prison at all. And and I'm all for the uh, you know sentencing guidelines being overturned and and uh, and things like that. But we need to deal with the fact that there are people in prison for for no reason at all. Well, and, and I think the the big picture of tonight's program, Cliff Lisa William, is this: 
This is all a setup, a conspiracy. All the things we've heard tonight, the reason they make no sense, the reason there's no logic to it, because you're dealing with a conspired uh, a, a attempt to do with these to do to these men what they have done. This is a conspiracy, a plan of premeditation, a setting up, if you will. How do we conspire? How do we target? How do we do this? How do we do that? The judge made it very clear. There is so much more involved here. So much, many things that go to this story, which have one word behind it. Conspiracy. Facts. Of steps taken. Uh, obstruction of justice, as we talked about with you. The missing transcripts. Those things. And nobody being held accountable for that. Uh, the sentencing. Going in, and, and, and the one young lady made the point, that held the, the defendants, the, the RP6, to a higher standard. That is not even, it's unheard of in court proceedings. The failure to allow intent into a trial is unheard of all the way to the point where members of Congress, there was a task force set up to address the failure to give intent in criminal cases and, and the, the over-incarceration that has come as a result of this type of nonsense. This is unheard of, and it spells conspiracy all day long. What causes a retired judge? Hit many years, decades on the bench to say, I see something, as the last uh, uh, clip alluded to. Judge Serkin saw something that caused him to take steps and to say something is wrong. Judge Bullock, willing to throw herself on the desk on the Capitol Hill to say, we must do something. Families talking, everything you can think of. The FBI going to jobs. Threats of intimidation, acts of intimidation, the targeting of a pastor in her church to get at these men. Where does it end? Where does the conspiracy stop? Who will stand up against it? Judge H. Lee Serkin went as far as to write a play to speak to the injustice that's on YouTube right now. Let's hear a little bit of that play. has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the RMP6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just an aside, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we lived, prayed, and worked together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testify. And then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out. 
because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper. And I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness, an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story Judge H. Lee Serrigan, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy. Go to YouTube, search the race card. You don't want to miss it. And there you have it, folks. Uh, H. Lee, retired federal judge H. Lee Serrigan uh, stepped out, William Cliff, to Lisa, to do something. That, and in one of his articles at the Huffington Post, he said that the gnawing at night, something kept gnawing at him that something had gone wrong. Cliff, when you hear that from a judge that has sat on the bench for decades, known for the reversal or the overturn of the Hurricane Carter case, which at that time was not popular to do, actually Sarah can feel the need to take action. Your thoughts on that? And his, uh, what he did and what his feelings were, con- it just continues to echo what we've heard time and time again, that the injustice in this case. You know, uh, uh, j- retired Judge uh, Mary Bullock that was just on the show, she said that when she heard about this case and the fact that it's still going on, it made her depressed. Right. That this issue, this injustice is still going on that the conspiracy continues to go on with as blatant as the, uh, as the conspiracy was, as blatant as the things that the judge did, that the prosecutor did, that this can still be going on. If there is absolutely no doubt in any judiciary's mind, from judges to prosecutors to state attorneys, that they all look at it and say, this, there is an injustice here. The fact that it's still going on, I mean, what, else, what other word do you use for it except that it is a conspiracy against the IRP-6 and to ensure that their software does not make it into the mainstream. I mean, there is no other word to use except conspiracy. When everybody comes to the same conclusion, but these men are locked up in federal prison. I mean, what does it say, Lisa, that a federal judge, 30 years, an attorney, 30 years, H. Lee Serrican, decades, Judges, judges, attorneys, congressmen, law firms, speaking out about this, what does it say? What is it going to take for people to say it is enough? That's exactly what you'd expect it to take, Lamont. You'd expect after all this 
you're, what you're looking for is people to realize that these people are not just talking off the top of their heads. These are people who are experts in their field, and they're looking at it saying something's not right. If all these people can see it, then it shouldn't be an issue. It should be something that's just saying, okay, this is, this is getting resolved now, because all these people that are looking at this and making these comments, they're not all wrong. They can't all be wrong. You, you just cannot continue to discount the credibility. These are, these are judges with credibility. These are attorneys. The lady said, I went to school for years for this. I've never seen nothing like it. This is unprecedented, ladies and gentlemen, to the point of the judge. In her position, she saw, she said, I saw this all the time. It has become a culture of injustice in America. That is the problem, and we must fight it. We must take a look. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to ask you tonight, and Judge Bullock, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Please tell everyone that you know, and all of our listeners across the United States, our listeners, Danielle in Australia, her friends, their friends in the U.K., go out, tell your friends, everybody, to go to change.org, sign that petition as we seek the clemency from the president for these six men. If anyone deserves clemency right now, these six men do. And we must take a stand. We must speak to the issue. We must never settle for anything less. And this is critically important. Uh, William, your thoughts on this, on this program tonight, the importance of it. What do you say to our listeners to get out and make a difference right now? Just, just that. You have to wake up. People, wake up. This is serious. This is serious business we're talking about. Like Mont said, you, when you have enough of these people, judges, attorneys with decades and decades of experience looking at one case and saying, this is wrong and we have to take a stand. I, I'm retired, but I got I to gotta be active enough to, make, to take a stand for this case. Right. I'm going to write a play about this case. I'm going to devote some time and effort to this case yes. because of the injustice. It will happen. It's happening to others around the country, and we're seeing it on TV. We're seeing the judicial system breaking down around us. We need to wake up, go sign the petition, get involved on, with us on social media. It's important. It's critical. Oh, it's absolutely. critical. And it needs to be passed on, ladies and gentlemen. Again, that's change.org. Search IRP6. Uh, you can go out there and sign the petition. Uh, if you want to see the race card in its entirety, the race card face-up play written by Judge X. Lee Sarrigan, uh, uh, go out to YouTube, the race card face-up. You will find that uh, production in its totality. Listen to that. Uh, it will have an impact uh, on you. It is very, very clear. Uh, we gave you a little bit of a, of a teaser tonight on that. Folks, go out of there and sign. Takes a few minutes. We got everybody supporting the wrong thing. These six men, it's time for them to come home, and it's going to take all of us coming together to make that happen. Lisa, the perpetrators of justice who put these men behind walls. They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodreed, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Cornfell, Attorney Mark Garagos, 
Susan Holland of EPI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that, Lisa. Thank you very much for that. Ladies and gentlemen, you will be hearing a part two of the conspiracy facts and the conspiracy, conspiracy factor of the RP6 story. We thank you for joining us tonight. Cliff? I want to say thank you to our guest, uh, retired Judge Mary Bullock. I want to say thank you to uh, all of our callers, everyone in the chat room. I also want to say thank you to our production team, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson of uh, K&D Productions. I also want to say thank you to our research team, giving us accurate and up-to-date information so we can pass that on to you. And ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. We'll see you next time here on AJC Radio as we bring the message of justice around the world. We'll see you next time. Good night, America. You know, you know what? No one has asked the question, and perhaps I just haven't seen it yet. But what they, in terms of their software, what they were doing was of great value. Have you ever thought that there's a competitor? The amalgamum of peculiar circumstances is so outrageous that, you know, anyone's conscious cannot sit there and say simply a procedural error. No. This is gross, outrageous conduct beyond what happens in a civilized society, let alone a civilized courtroom. So I have to ask and answer the question, who are the competitors? I think an appellate court would do one of two things. They'd either order that the transcript be produced uh, or they'd have to reverse. You know, it would baffles me as to why anyone would deny that motion. it's inconceivable to me that a judge would say, no, you can't have the record of this trial. It's inconceivable to me in this day and age in the federal court, particularly in Colorado, by the way, which I think has sort of advanced when it comes to computers, that they don't have an alternate way uh, to maintain the, the record. And uh, the fact that the court reporter doesn't have it or hasn't typed it up um, as everybody says, is inconceivable. So there's this record exists somewhere, uh, yes. and and for some reason that they're resisting producing it. And I think is a fair inference, and that's why that particular segment of the testimony of the transcript is so important. Because if if that weren't the contention, and there's something missing, appellate court is liable to say, well, unless there's some prejudicial error involved, what difference does it make? But this is so critical that that's why they want it, and that's what the big fuss is about, and legitimately so.